The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning, our scripture reading comes from Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 15. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, and he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the present of their, of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were being were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said The strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said in ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. All right, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty sons, Jesus' name. Father God, thank you for the word that was just read. Uh, Father God, I pray that you would uh, move me uh, out of the way uh, so that you can speak to us on this morning. Father God, I pray that I would decrease so that you can increase in this place. 
I pray that your word would open up and illumine and be uh, just shined upon by the Holy Spirit so that we can see it for what it truly is. And let it speak to our hearts, Father God. Open up our hearts. Convict us uh, and encourage us uh, on this morning. And may we walk out of here this morning more like your son. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, all right. Um, just a couple nights ago, I was having a conversation uh, with a friend of mine who's about to deploy uh, for a military tour. I won't say where he's going uh, because I believe that's confidential, uh, but uh, he's a friend of mine. He's been in the military for a while, and every time before he leaves out, uh, we'll talk and we'll even pray, and I'll ask him a couple questions. And so this time I asked him a couple questions, and I was asking him, I said, uh, so are there going to be people there this time uh, that don't want you there? Are you going into uh, enemy territory? And he said, yes. I was like, okay. Uh, I said, uh, are they likely to try to attack you? Uh, he said, yes. And uh, I could tell he didn't want to go. I said, you don't really want to go this time around, do you? And he said, no. But that's what soldiers do, right? That's what soldiers do. And I'm deeply indebted to him, and I'm, and I'm thankful for him for what he does. But that's a challenging situation that he's going into because he's going into some enemy territory. So he has to prepare himself for that when he goes into that enemy territory. And so I just want to talk to the Christians just for a minute, just for a minute. Uh, Because as long as we're on this side of heaven, you and I also have to step out into a world, into enemy territory. As you step out of this church and go into that school or to that business, business office, or even as you go into your very own home or into your neighborhood, we have to prepare ourselves as we step into that enemy territory. And I, and I probably ask you that same list of questions. Are you going to go somewhere where there are spiritual enemies and people don't want you to be there? Yeah. Are they likely to attack you? Yes. Better believe it. Does anybody like being attacked? No. <laughs> no. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If you're ever going to do anything for God, if you're ever going to do anything for God, whether big or small, and I don't think you can, even, you can even do anything small for God, but if you're ever going to do anything for God, whether big or small, you're going to have to learn how to deal with opposition. You're just going to have to, or, you, or you're going to find yourself quitting a lot and giving up and being discouraged and worried and, and freaking out about everything, all right, if, if you don't learn how to deal with this thing called opposition. If you ever want to raise up your children in the fear of the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to deal with opposition. It's coming. God does not want your child to be a Christian. I don't think that's a news flash for anybody. That's just a fact. If you actually uh, desire to be a witness for Christ in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your community, you're going to have to deal with opposition. All right. It, it may mean some people reject you. It may mean that you stop getting invited to certain places because people may not want you there. Uh, it could be worse depending on where you are overseas. You may lose your life. But if you want to be a witness for the Lord in this world, you're going to have to learn how to deal with opposition. If you want to have a marriage that lasts, you got to gird up your loins and get ready to go to battle. It's not easy. Can I get a witness, married people? Yes. <laughs> uh, If you want to go into any type of ministry, any type of full-time ministry and start up this ministry, I just put LOL next to my notes. If you think that's going to be easy, it's it's not a game. And even if you desire just to be a Christian, just to live a godly life, you just said, I just want to be godly. 
This is what 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just trying to live a godly life. I don't say this to scare you. I don't say this to put fear and trepidation in your heart. I'm just trying to give you that same heightened sense of awareness that my friend has to have when he gets ready to go overseas in a month. You need to be aware of what you're stepping into. This is not a playground. It's more like a battlefield when we leave out of uh, this church and even in this church. Some may be asking, but why do you have to struggle, Terrence? Why does it have to be so hard? It's a simple answer. Because you and I were born into a spiritual battle. Point blank period. The devil hates God. You're his people. The devil hates you. So he's going to oppose you. Point blank period. And you shouldn't be afraid of him to the point where it's like, okay, he has all of his power. No, he doesn't have ultimate power. He's not uh, omnipresent. He can't even be everywhere at, all, at the same time. All right. He, he doesn't have all power. He's on a leash. He has limited power, limited time. But he will oppose you. And I've heard it said like this by somebody. Uh, if you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil lately, that probably means that you're heading in the same direction as him. And so if you're feeling some kind of challenge or opposition as you try to do the Lord's work, that probably means you're headed in the right direction. As we come to our text this morning, uh, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We just read it. Uh, just to catch us up a little bit, we've been talking about it. Nehemiah uh, heard news that the walls at Jerusalem were still burned down. The walls and the gates uh, were still burned down, and it broke his heart. And so he went to King Artaxerxes and asked for the necessary resources uh, to rebuild that wall. He gathered the people. He rallied them together uh, to rebuild that wall. Uh, but, but it wasn't just for physical purposes that he rebuilt that wall. Of course, the, the wall needs to be rebuilt because a wall is important. Uh, but there was also some spiritual reasons why that, that wall need to, needed to be rebuilt. And see, a city without a wall was exposed, completely exposed. That means that gangs could just walk in, bandits could walk in, wild animals could walk in. As a matter of fact, the temple was there. Ezra had just rallied the people to rebuild the temple back together. And that's where the, the presence of God dwelt. And there were some very nice decorations in that place. And so uh, people were likely to want to break into the, the temple and even steal it. And so uh, it's a big deal. It's not just a physical undertaking, but it's a spiritual undertaking that's taking place with this initiative by Nehemiah uh, to rebuild the wall. A scholar by the name of Mark Roberts puts in this perspective. He says, uh, practically speaking, no wall means no city. No city means no temple. No temple means no presence of God. No presence of God means no military strength. No military strength means no justice, which means no civilization, no need for walls. If you don't have a civilization and a temple and the walls are united in a society founded on God's covenant and steadfast love. All of that stuff works together. So it's not just a cosmetic undertaking, just rebuilding the wall. This is essential uh, for the restoration of God's glory in the life of his people. This is super important. I just And I put this down parenthetically speaking. Uh, those who uh, work in secular fields, uh, such as the education field or the business world or the medical field, what you do is absolutely essential to God's glory being manifested in this world. It all works together. 
And so don't, don't buy the whole secular, sacred divide thing. It's super uh, important what you do every day, even if you're not doing it uh, within the church. And so this wall has to get rebuilt. It's essential. Uh, Rich, Richard stated a couple of weeks ago uh, that God put this building project on Nehemiah's heart, right? So this is, this is God's plan. And because it's God's plan, we've already established that it's going to face some kind of opposition, all right? And so uh, two men in particular are leading this opposition uh, against um, uh, Nehemiah and the Jews as they're rebuilding the wall. And so as we catch up in this point in the story, the people are working, the people are working, uh, but this man by the name of Sanballat and another guy by the name of Tobiah are starting to rally the people together to oppose uh, Nehemiah and the Jews as they do the rebuilding of the work. And so a little bit about Sanballat, he was said to be a ruler in the area. It's not necessarily certain whether he had his own army. But what is certain that he went gathered and rallied a bunch of people together uh, to oppose Nehemiah. And so, uh, of course, he has his own personal reasons for why he wants this rebuilding project to stop. He probably is afraid of the Jews and, and, and of them gaining some kind of strength and influence. But also, as we've said, the main reason why this opposition is coming is because the devil doesn't like God's work. With the temple rebuilt... God's glory was going to be strong and manifested in the life of his people, and the devil didn't like that. And so we're going to pick up at this point in the story, and what I want us to do as we dive into the story a little bit more, I want us to look at it like game film. If anybody's ever played sports or you have a sports team, you know that when you're about to go up against an opposing team, you take some time and you study the game film. You study their strategies. You figure out how they play. You worry. You, you watch the quarterback and see uh, how he makes decisions when, he, when he's on the fly. All right. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Nehemiah and we're going to look at it uh, like game film. We're going to study uh, how three ways that the enemy opposes God's people because they all show up uh, in this in this passage. All right. The, the first thing that we're going to see, the first a bit of game film that we're going to look at and see is that uh, one thing that the enemy uses uh, to oppose God's people uh, is doubt and discouragement. He uses doubt and discouragement. If you're going to try to do God's work, if you're going to try to live a godly life out there on that college campus, you're going to have to deal with doubt and discouragement. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we, we see this right here. Uh, Sanballat, it says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry. He was angry about it. He wasn't just a little bothered. He was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. He said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it to themselves? You hear the mockery in his voice. Will they sacrifice? Are we going to get God involved now? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Like, look at, look at all this rubbish. You can't do that. And the burned ones at that. Then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, his little sidekick. He said, yeah. What they are building, if a fox goes up, he will break down that stone wall. Just mocking them. Can you hear the mockery in, the, in his voice? In the lies, even. As a matter of fact, it said that this wall was nine feet thick at this point. It wasn't a feeble, weak wall, but he's still spewing this discouragement and these lies. I just want you to picture that sight for a minute of what's going on. It's, that's trying to work. They're dealing with this discouragement. Uh, basically, they're saying, you're, you're weak, you're pathetic, you're powerless, and this is too much for you. 
What you've done already isn't even that impressive. Who do you think you are? You ain't nothing. That's what he's basically, that's what he's basically saying to the Jews. And that's the voice of the enemy. And, so, and to some of you guys, that voice may be real familiar. That's the voice of the enemy. I've, I've, I know I've heard it before. It's the same voice uh, that the devil and, and, and the people used when they were mocking Jesus when he was on the cross. Oh, this is the king of the Jews? This is the king? He can't even get himself off the cross. If you really are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God. That's the voice of the enemy, that doubt and discouragement. Some of you have heard it before. Oh, you want to be a teacher in that inner city school? Those kids are never going to listen to you. You want to start your own business? Who do you think you are? You don't come from wealth. You don't come from money. Nobody in your family ain't never owned nothing. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're going to be a multi-ethnic church in Memphis. Black people and white people haven't been getting along for years in Memphis. Who do you think you are? I'm going to stop there for a minute. Can we be real? Memphis isn't an easy place. It ain't. It's not an easy place. It's not an easy place to do ministry. As a matter of fact, it's definitely not an easy place to do multi-ethnic ministry. There are a lot of discouraging voices uh, outside of the church that we allow to influence what's going on inside of the church. Uh, in particular, as churches are, are trying to uh, become more, more multi-ethnic, uh, they exp- the multi-ethnic churches in particular are experiencing a lot of challenges at this time in history. We just are. Uh, in a recent New York Times article, uh, Michael Emerson, who wrote the book Divided by Faith, uh, said this. This is what he had to say. It came out just a couple of days ago, this article. And this is a quote from Michael Emerson from that book. He says, everything that we tried is not working. Speaking of the 2016 election, he says the the election itself was the single most harmful event to the whole movement of reconciliation in the past 30 years. He said it's about to completely break apart. It's a hard word, Um, but it's it's, it's the truth and it's the tension, it's the challenges that we're working with. And this is the the, the time in history that we are right now where we're going to either allow that to be true or prove that to be false. And all of us have something to do with that or how that's really going to play out. Uh, right here at Downtown Church, if we're being honest, we wrestled with that in 2016 uh, after the election. The, we felt the tremors uh, right here in our very own uh, congregation. But here's what I want to say. When are we going to get to a point, people of God, when we stop letting what is said out there control what happens inside of here? According to the word of God, what happens in here is supposed to influence what happens out there. We're called to be the salt and the light of the world, a city on the hill. We're not supposed to be like the world. So I just want to say, who's influencing who? Who's influencing who? And, and, and to be honest, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't matter whether you're for him or against him. I'm not using this time to, to pick a side right now when it comes uh, to the president. But I think it is time we stop blaming the president. We, he, 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 he is who he is. I think it is time that we, we, we know who he is, right? But I think it's time that we show who we are, right? 
time that we show who we are. We're called to be the salt and the light of the world. Don't be so influenced. Be an influence. That God has put his Holy Spirit on the inside of you to be his witness in the world. You're not just a spectator. But can I be honest, and I'm going to say this at the risk of sounding like victimizing myself, but I'm not victimizing myself, so I'm going to say it anyway. It's not always easy to be an African-American in a multi-ethnic church. It's not always easy. It's not always easy uh, to relax even and feel like this is home. Uh, in that article I read, it, it said there's been a quiet, like a quiet exodus of minorities from multi-ethnic churches because they're feeling the same thing that I'm talking about right now, but they won't say it. They just sneak out the door, throw up the deuces, and you wonder why you hadn't seen them in a while, and they're, and they're out. So I'm, I'm not doing the quiet exodus thing. I'm being straight up real with you. It's not always easy uh, to be an African-American uh, in a multi-ethnic church. I just had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine this week who, after 10 years of pastoring in a multi-ethnic context, he said he's done. He said, I'm going to let them have that. I'm done. I'm out. Uh, I've had uh, brothers and sisters of me, minority brothers and sisters, say that, man, I don't feel like uh, people that really want a relationship with me. I don't feel like this is real. Uh, so I'm done. So I'm quietly, I'm not gonna raise up a panic. I'm not gonna wild out, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sneak out the back door. Uh, I, just this past year, I actually had an older white gentleman say to me, oh, you're at downtown church. Oh, y'all, y'all have an interesting congregation. I'm like, wow, okay, we're interesting because we're trying to be diverse. Interesting, okay. And I'm tempted, if I'm being honest, and this is a point of confession, I'm tempted to believe those outside uh, voices at times. I'm not speaking down on you. I'm very much in this with you. And like I said, we're at a a point in history, it's real, y'all, we're at a point in history where we got to decide who we're going to be. And I I say this by way of uh, of confession. Uh, There have been times where I've wanted your approval, speaking to my white brothers and sisters so much, I'm speaking to my white brothers and sisters. There's been times where I've wanted your approval so much and your acceptance so much that I didn't. I gave you a fake version of myself. I didn't give you all of me. Uh, I don't laugh as loud with you as I as I do with some of my African American brothers and sisters. I have not been honest uh, when some of you have done things or maybe even said things that may have offended me. So I didn't say anything out of out of fear of being seen as the angry black man. I didn't want to be the the angry black man, so I, I just let it go. Uh, this is a hard one. I have not invited you to certain things because I thought you wouldn't want to even go anyway, if we're being real. Uh, I've been involved kind of in the white evangelical ministry setting for about 12 years now, ever since I was a freshman in college at 18. Uh, and I've at times put on layers and layers and layers of masks just to exist in your world, just to go home, take the mask off, and give a sigh of relief. That's inauthentic, and I'm sorry even for being inauthentic with you. 
And I just want to speak to my black brothers and sisters just for a moment that's in the congregation. God made you who you are for a reason. God made you your culture for a reason and it's beautiful. Do not hold it back. If you came in here shouting when you worship, you keep on shouting in here when you worship. You don't put that away for nobody. Be yourself. God made you who you are for a reason. And as we are real with each other about who we are and where we come from, we're going to experience real reconciliation. It's just not a cosmetic thing. It's not about looking multi-ethnic. It's about truly engaging one another at a deep level and really working through things together. Uh, I've, had it, I've heard it said like this. When it comes to the white and black thing, especially in Memphis, it's like two people dancing together who've never danced before, right? And so when two people dance together who've never uh, danced together before, you're probably going to step on each other's toes, right? But the thing is, are you going to keep on dancing? Or are you going to be afraid to step on someone's toes? So you're just going to sit on the wall like the middle school prom. You're just going gonna to sit on the wall. <laughs> Some of us are sitting on the wall. We're not engaging at a deep level. We're real surface because we're afraid to step on someone's toes. Or some of us, we're just waiting for somebody to step on our toes. <laughs> so, so you can prove your point. <laughs> All right. But the point is this. We have to keep dancing. Even when the doubt and the discouragement comes. There's going to be another big election probably in the next, what, two years, right? What are we going to do then? Are we going to do the same thing again? No, we, we got to keep dancing. This, so let's look at Nehemiah, how he handled that discouragement. They kept on working. Verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its, half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They kept working. And he didn't take it in his own strength. Let's, let's, let's read Nehemiah uh, 4 and 5. He says, he, he prays to God when the doubt and the discouragement comes. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. So hear, hear, oh our God, listen to us, look at our plight, look at our situation, we are despised. You know what? We are a weak people. It ain't that many of us. And we got all of these enemies who are surrounding us, and they say they're going to come down on us, and they're speaking down on us. Look at this situation. Hear us, oh God, God, pay attention. We are looked down upon. We are despised. They may say to us, you silly Christians at downtown church, you really think you're going to bring back black people and white people together? You know what? We can't, but God can. We can't, but God can. And Nehemiah didn't miss his word. He, he, he says, and, and we're not necessarily called to do this. This is a different point in history, how he handles it. He goes in on his enemies, but he gives them to God. He says, turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their, their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they are, they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Um, so yeah, he, he gives it to God. He said, these are your enemies, you handle them. We, we can't handle this. Uh, and, and that's just a sign for us. People of God, don't take on the opposition in your own strength. Don't try to take it on in your own strength. This isn't your battle. This is God's battle. And he fights for his people. He proves that time and time again in the word. And so the enemy will use uh, doubt and discouragement. Uh, but the enemy will also use fear and intimidation. 
He'll use fear and intimidation. If the doubt and discouragement doesn't work, he'll try fear and intimidation. One thing we learn from the book of Maya and throughout history is that he, he'll try to uh, hurt you. He'll scare you. He'll threaten you. Um, as, as we look uh, back at the civil rights movement, it is well documented uh, that Martin Luther King received numerous death threats as he was engaging in the civil rights movement. He, he received numerous death threats. People would call him and basically threaten to kill him uh, and his family. Um, as a matter of fact, before he came here to Memphis, Tennessee in 1968, he was told that if you come to Memphis, we're going to kill you in Memphis. And that's eventually what happened. If the doubt and the discouragement doesn't work, the enemy will. I'm, and I'm, the best thing I can say is I'm sorry. That's just the world we live in. The enemy will attack you with fear and intimidation as we look even overseas all right to zoom out a little bit in in the middle east in in iraq in syria you have isis and they 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 create these grotesque violent videos where they show themselves uh killing christians as a way to intimidate people from from their faith some of you may be called to some of those places and those videos are meant uh, to intimidate you from even going over there he'll use fear and intimidation Uh, right here in memphis the news can be flat out scary some days, if we're being honest. And that caused some people to leave. And, to, and just to go, it, it gets to be too much. In Nehemiah verse 4-8, it says, And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion within it. And so they put this, this army uh, together to, to come and attack Jerusalem as they were working. They were going to catch them while they were working and catch them while they were slipping. And they were going to try to kill them. Are you not going to stop? We're just going to kill you then since you won't stop uh, building uh, the wall. The people were already tired. They were already discouraged. Now they have a threat. Uh, their family, family members who weren't in Jerusalem at the time found out what was going on. Those family members went to Jerusalem and told their family members to get out of Jerusalem. Get out. They're about to attack you. Get out. And this is a huge point in the story, a pivotal point in the story, where Nehemiah could have just said, okay, we tried, but I don't want to get anybody hurt. All right, we tried, guys. We're about halfway done. You know, let's just chalk it up. You know, good try. But that's not what he does. This is a good leadership moment. He says in verse 14, he says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. He says, Remember the Lord, the same God who rescued our people out of Egypt. That same God who parted the Red Sea. That's the God who's with us. Remember the Lord. How many people know that sometimes you just have to remind yourself of who God is? You got to remind yourself of who God is. Uh, the great Yolanda Adams said it like this. She said, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord. <laughs> God is only using you. He's just only using you. He's going to sub you out when your time is up on this earth. He's going to put somebody else in. He's only using you. So Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. Who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. When the enemy tries to intimidate you, friends, remember who the Lord is. Don't let the devil bully you out of your assignment, out of your calling. Remember who the Lord is. Matthew chapter 10, 28 says it like this. Uh, it says, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God. (laughs) Don't fear man. Fear God. 
First John chapter 4, 18 says it like this. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Don't be intimidated out of your calling. Uh, a 10-year-old by the name of Miriam, who lives in uh, Iraq, had a, had a very neat story. Uh, her family was actually displaced by, Iraq, by, uh, by ISIS while she was in Iraq. And she lost everything, and she was a refugee, uh, and, she, and she saw people uh, lose their lives. And uh, this 10-year-old girl had this to say. Uh, when it comes to ISIS and how they did her family. She says, I'm praying for them every day, and I love them. She's a Christian, 10-year-old Christian girl uh, in Iraq. She says, I'm, I'm still praying for them, and I love them. And she wasn't afraid. She was standing her ground. Perfect love cast out fear. Where is God calling you to stand your ground? Where is God calling you to stand your ground? Is it your neighborhood? You're tempted to try to give up there. Is it, is it, your, uh, is it your job, your workplace? Is he, is he calling you to stand your ground there? Is it with your family, with your children, with your spouse? Is God calling you to stand your ground? Where is God calling you to stand your ground? The enemy will try to use doubt and discouragement. The enemy will try to use fear and intimidation. And sometimes if that doesn't work, uh, the enemy will flat out try to use deception. He'll try to use deception. He'll just try to deceive you uh, into doing something. Uh, So when it comes to Nehemiah, uh, the doubt and discouragement didn't work. The fear and intimidation didn't work. And so as we pick up in uh, chapter 6, he's still trying. (laughs) Sam Ballard is still trying to get him to stop. So now he's like, okay, that didn't work. I'm just trying to deceive him, try to get him to compromise a little bit. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, uh, Sanballat and, and Geshem sent to me, sent him a letter, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekephorim in the plain of Ono. Dude, let's just let's talk about it, man. Let, let's meet together. But they intended to do me harm. Let's just talk now. They they was trying to set him up to kill him, and so he sent a letter back. They didn't have text messages and tweets back then, so you got to send his letter. So he sent the letter back, and, he, and I sent messages messages to them saying, "I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? God got me an assignment to do." I'm going to stop for you. And they sent to me four times. Four times they tried to set up this little uh, ambush meeting. And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. I'm busy. I'm working. God has something for me to do. I don't have time to deal with you. Chapter 6, verse 10. Okay, that didn't work. Tried to set up a little shady meeting. Didn't, didn't quite pull that off. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10. He says, uh, now, and this is real sneaky. He gets religious on him. He says, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. 
Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. So let's just go in the temple. Let's just go to church. Let's just hide out. Let's just go hide out. Stop the work, man. Stop this work out there. They're going to kill you. Let's just let's go to the temple. But I said, I love Nehemiah. I've been loving this, man. He said, but I said, should such a man as I run away? What such a man as I can go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had, had not sent him. He was a false prophet. God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. False prophet got paid to spill this false prophecy. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. The enemy is persistent. <laughs> he'll go doubt, discouragement, fear, intimidation. He'll just flat out lie to you and try to get you to compromise. Every now and then the devil is going to try to get you to compromise. And a lot of times that compromise is going to look like the easier path. For some of you, that compromising voice may say, eh, it's okay to fudge a couple numbers on the taxes. Nobody's watching. Eh, it's okay to watch a little porn. I mean, no one's going to know. I know that people around you need Jesus, but do you really got to be the one to tell them about Jesus? I mean, that's kind of awkward. You don't want to be that guy. I know that we have a race issue in America, but things will just work themselves out at some point. Not, now it's not the time, Dr. King. That's what they were saying in 68. Little compromise after little compromise adds up to you being a long way from God's calling and assignment on your life. Friend, God has a plan for your life and he's called you to be faithful to it. He's going to fight for you because it's his battle in the first place. But he's called you to be faithful to it. As we close, I just want to remind us that uh, we are in a battle. But here's the good news. Uh, you're not called to fight it in your own strength. We have a king who fights for us. Our king, Jesus, who's coming back. and He's going to defeat all of our enemies and all of our foes one day. But he just calls you to stay in the fight. He's going to fight on your behalf. And if that's you, if you know the Lord Jesus, you're in a good place this morning. You have a king who, who fights your battles. And if you don't know him this morning, I want to encourage you to follow that king. Why would you dare try to fight these battles by yourself? You have a God who loves you and cares for you and who fights for you daily. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Thanking you that you are the king above all kings. And though we deal with opposition on this side of heaven, God, we, we have confidence and courage in the fact that it's you who fight our battles. Father God, we, we come surrendering any self-sufficiency, uh, any self-exaltation, any self-strength, any hope in self. We just surrender that at your feet, Father God, and confess that we can't do nothing on our own. God, I just pray for those who don't know you this morning, who don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would know you so that they can have that peace and that hope, Father God, that they have a king who will go to battle for them. God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.